I don't know what's so I don't know what is so soothing to me about like the opening credits of one movie and the sped up credits of another movie in the in the lower third. It just it just feels like Saturday. That little box like like, like that that made you feel fancy picture in picture box. up everybody welcome to the two woke nerds podcast thank you so much for tuning in again this week if you like what we do please leave us a rating or a review on apple Podcasts. it helps get the show out there share this with your friends wherever you found it whether it was apple podcast google podcast stitcher tune in spotify all of the major places where you can find fine podcast content you can find raymond and i you can also connect with us on twitter at two woke nerds shoot us an email two woke nerds pod at gmail.com my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's so excited for 007 random phrase, <laughs> Raymond Summerlin. Ray, how are you? It appears to be a Bond movie. I watched the trailer, and I can confirm, Bond movie. Yep, Daniel Craig still looking like a potato. There is an Oscar-winning actor who had something wrong with his face, who is apparently mad at Bond about something. And so this appears to be a James Bond movie. Wasn't Casino Royale supposed to be like the grounded, like not Bond, Bond? And now four movies later, they're back to everybody has weird facial prosthesis. This is going to be like the third he's going to die Bond in a row, right? Like this is the third, oh, the final Bond. Like this is becoming the Rolling Stones at this point with Daniel Craig's James Bond. Well, he says after every one of these movies, I hate making them. They're terrible. Stop seeing them. And I feel like that makes people want to go see them. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, yeah, but I really like money. And so (laughs) I'm going to keep doing it. Fair play. If they were offering me a bunch of money to do these movies, I'd do them in a heartbeat. They're not. If they were, I'd, I'd be there. I've hated things more and got paid less. That's all yeah, I'm saying. 100%. Because I've hated things more and got paid 100%. less. 100%. What's funny is this is going to be the only the second best movie that he's done with uh, that that new Bond girl, Alexis de Arma. Is that her name? Is I think that's what her name is. I believe so. Uh, because she is in Knives Out, which might be my don't sleep. So there you go. Good to hear it. So we're going to uh, talk a little bit. The, the actual trailer we're going to talk about today is the Black Widow trailer. We got a uh, we got a trailer for the first Marvel female led solo film. It's also directed by a female, which is great. So we'll talk. That's about not true. Black Widow. Did you forget that Captain Marvel happened? I did just for a brief moment because I think I I, I fixed. It, I know what your problem was. This should have been the first one because it should have been made six years ago. <laughs> like that's why. Yes. That's what maybe that's where the the disconnect came in. So you're, so you're telling me the fact that they've been talking about this since uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier came out. This was supposed to be the first female-led comic book movie. Period. And then Wonder Woman came in and did that and did it well. But we finally got a trailer after, what, basically like a year of having this thing announced. It's been in the can for a while, Ray. So we finally got a trailer. Um, A lot of stuff. She's going back to her roots. We got to see Hopper in (laughs) the... uh, in the, we're just going to call him Russian Captain America outfit. Red, I almost called him Red, Red Scare. Red Scare is exactly what him. I was going to call him. <laughs> I, so we saw him in his uh, in costume. We saw her reuniting with her sister. We saw some action beats. So Ray, 
this happens between this isn't just a prequel to Endgame. This is a prequel to Infinity War. So there's a lot there's a lot of backtracking we're doing and it's kind of weird. What are we even doing here? Like I don't I'm so confused by this movie. Like I so Let's get over the fact that they legitimately should have made this movie six years ago. And if they had, everything would have made perfect sense. But this character is, spoiler alert, dead. D-E-A-D, dead. So we're not, like, what? why are we talking about this? And it's not even like an origin story, which could have made some sense. We're just going back like four years to like this side thing that she was doing. And it's not even like, it doesn't appear that they're even going to go interesting with it. My hope for this movie was that it was going to be like a spy thriller. And it doesn't even look like that's what they're going to do. They're just going to break out all of the superhero tropes and they're not going to do any, like they're not going to do like a genre movie. They're just going to make a superhero movie that happens to have Black Widow and Red Scare in it. And I, I'm so like, why? What? What is the point of this movie? I don't get it. Yeah, I was hoping for, like, an espionage thriller in the same way that The Winter Soldier was very much like a, like, Manchurian candidate 1970s kind of political thriller that was back set. And granted, they have to show all the exciting parts in the trailer. So this could th- this could actually be that. And they could have just shown you the big action beats that are going to happen. Because the The Winter Soldier was... That, But it also had these big action beats. And I think Marvel has done a really good job. And obviously Feige has had, he's had his elbows in this. And so they haven't made a bad film since Feige uh, was around. So we got three, all basically three iterations of Black Widow. Um, one play, one is her sister and then one is her kind of sister. Uh, we also got David Harbour as Red Red Guardian, not Red Scare, no. but Red Scare is what we're going to call Scare him. Red Scare is his name. Uh, so what are your what are your hopes for this movie that one should have been made six years ago, and two uh, kind of is going to fill in some backstory for a character whose backstory has been kind of hinted at in hushed whispers and kind of in some some innuendo between her and other characters. By the way, the fact that this isn't an origin story means that we're not going to get Hawkeye and we're not going to get to hear about the incident. We're not going to get any No Budapest. In Budapest, we're going to hear about Budapest, we're going to hear any of this. So, I don't I don't get it. Like my hope was that this would be Zero Dark 30, essentially a superhero version of Zero Dark 30 where the, I don't know who they're killing, but you know, they're killing someone and it's just it doesn't look like that. Now, like you said, this could be they're showing all the biggest action things. But when you have people in black helmets that you're fighting in midair, like that suggests to me that you're not making that movie. You're making your run-of-the-mill Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. And fine, or G.I. Joe, fine. I guess people like those. Uh, but I, yeah, it. I don't get it. I, that's my point. I don't get it. I don't know what we're doing. And so I think this movie is going to be one that comes it makes the money it's going to make because it's a marvel movie it's going to make money and goes away pretty quickly i think i think it's going to be one of those but we'll see it could be it could be good it could not be good because that's basically literally how everything works so got a release date may 1st 2020 it's coming at you and so here's hoping that it's good because you know what i and she's not coming back to the main mcu timeline uh because she's in the soul stone she's been exchanged for the soul stone so she's not coming back unless they do some weird alternate timeline shenanigans like they did with both uh, Gamora and they did with Loki. But I don't know. We will 
see. And so that brings us to, do we want to do Mandalorian or Watchmen first, right? Because we've got to do both. We got to do some. Let's do some Mando to start with. Let's let's go light. So we'll keep it light with Mandalorian. So we it's been two weeks since we got some Mandalorian. So we got uh, chapters three and chapters four of the Mandalorian. Chapter three, uh, he Raymond he gave Baby Yoda. No, he didn't. Two. No, he didn't. Pershing. He gave him to him. Yeah. He gave him to him. We're both technically right. For a minute. For It was at least several hours. It was long enough for him to walk away, go get some armor forged, and then have second thoughts about giving yeah. Baby Yoda to the Nazis, we, I mean, we, to the Imperials. Can we talk about that armor? Not, not, not a sneaking kind of armor. You're not sneaking no. around in the glistening Beskar. Like there's the, like if you're in a desert, like you're just basically a homing flare the entire time that you're walking down through Tatooine. So like I don't really know how I don't really know how uh functional this this maybe get maybe get like some some paint on there. Maybe get like that thing that they line truck beds with. Maybe get some of that on there. Just take some of that gleam. The rhino liner. Rhino liner. Spray it on there, baby. Maybe get some of that gleam off there. I don't know how functional that armor really is. It's not very functional at all, but it's worthwhile armor. And so he gives he gives them the he gives them the child is the official name. Uh Baby Yoda is not the official name, but Baby Yoda. Baby the Yoda's name. the name. Yes. Baby Yoda's the name. So he gives him Baby Yoda, has second thoughts, goes, and this had some of the best action of, I would say, the four episodes we've seen. Um, at least the, so he goes in, the sneaking that he does in the in the Imperial outfit is great. The one-on-six that he does as he runs into the, uh, runs into the rest of the Bounty Hunters Guild that complicate things. He's trying to get to a ship. And then we see the Mandalorians that are, homed and housed on that planet as he's outnumbered and, and in a corner come in and uh, back him up. And, and this is the way, Ray, this is the way. So they come in, they back him up. And I think the best thing we got out of that is the uh, heavy artillery Mandalorian or ham as we call that big guy. I also liked, I also liked the, uh, him flying away with the guy with the, uh, with the jetpack saying, Oh, I need to get one of those. That was fun. It's fun. Kind of inside. Yeah inside joke there yeah i thought it was good action i i like that there was like a story that they were telling and he was still moving through it unlike episode four which episode four was very like mission of the week which is kind of what the show has become more of it kind of is and so i i know that there's that through line with baby yoda but i uh i i don't know i wasn't really in for mission of the week it's fine if they want to do seven samurais uh, the entire time, uh, or like, like that's exactly what the, this ep- whole episode was. But yeah, I thought, I thought it was pretty good. I thought the action was pretty good. You had to, you had to, um, you had to suspend some disbelief whenever Pillboy is there. Uh, thank you. I, I, I'm glad somebody else was like, that's Pillboy for sure. As soon as he came on the thing, I said, Pillboy! <laughs> like, there was no way that anything else was being said. That's Pillboy. 100%. And that poor actor will forever be Pillboy. So I'm sorry, whoever you are, but you are now Pillboy. But I'm supposed to believe that Pillboy learned how to fight with, like, a sharpened stick in, like, three weeks. Like, montage. They literally montaged to Gerald. They montaged. So this was, this was the most uh, Star Wars TV Clone Wars-y. See, if you watch the Clone Wars, it's very much... And- 
both Clone Wars and now The Mandalorian have done a Seven Samurai episode. Um, I'm not all the way through Rebels, but I'm sure because Filoni is involved, uh, it will be very much there'll be a seven samurai episode this one was this one was okay i wasn't wasn't huge on it uh, i'm excited episode five is gonna hit on friday and that one is the first one that was not written by john favreau this one's written by dave filoni who is written and directed by dave filoni who was kind of george's like heir apparent like george was mentoring him to kind of take over and run star wars and filoni d- did the be- has done the best animated Star Wars and best serialized Star Wars. So I'm excited for for episode five or chapter five. Uh, but here is hoping that they they I mean, they've only got four episodes left, so I don't necessarily know uh, where they're going to go from here. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's much narrative drive. Like he's just hanging out with Baby Yoda. Like Baby Yoda still got what, like 50 years now until like how long at least yeah like how long is it going to take for him not to be baby yoda anymore it's like what's the end game here where are we going i don't i don't understand but it's fun we'll see. we'll see it's fun i'm having fun with it i need them to come out with more original content because i can only watch so much goof troop and <laughs> it is i will tell you that baby yoda is internet gold like absolute yes. internet gold and they like whoever designed that puppet deserves all of the money because that's the cutest thing I've ever seen on camera. And like they, they have it through the cutest things. It sipping the broth is hilarious. It flicking, it flicking the, uh, the switches, but not just flicking the switches, staring at Mando reaching behind it and flicking the switch that he told it not to flick like a cat. That is the funniest (laughs) thing that I've ever like, Whoever, Baby Yoda is perfect. Absolutely perfect. Yeah, no, it's it's incredible. And the the sipping the sipping the broth meme is my new favorite meme. And anything Baby Yoda related is my new favorite thing on the internet. So we'll be back in two weeks. So we'll get the uh, we'll get the Dave Filoni episode and the Rick Famuyuma episode as well. Uh, Chris Yost actually wrote episode six as well. Uh, Chris Yost, you may recognize as the guy who also co-wrote Thor Ragnarok. So that could be, that could be fun. pretty, could be real fun. So could we get uh, Taika the other, Is that, is Taika's robot going to show back up? I don't know, but Taika's directing the finale. So I'll, I'm ready Sold. for that. Sold. Sold. I am in. So the show that Pedro Pascal star of the Mandalorian is tweeting about, Watchmen, we are, we got, I will go ahead and say probably the two best episodes of the season so far. So we got the flashback episode. We saw um, Sister Knight take the nostalgia at the end of the last episode that we talked about. And so we got the flashback episode, kind of Will's uh, retrospective. We got a, uh, we got her flashbacks going through her grandfather's memories. Uh, We got to see... An incredible episode of television, probably one of the best episodes of TV I've seen in a very long time, where she went back through Will's journey through the police force and his disillusionment with the police force, uh, which leads him to becoming Hooded Justice and kind of the origins of Hooded Justice, taking the symbols that were used, the noose that was literally put around his neck and the hood over his face as he was given a warning lynching from some racist police officers um, that turned him into this masked vigilante. And the, and 
not only is this just an incredible episode of television, but the way that they handled um, showing both the covert and the overt racism that happens is just incredible. And I could talk for days about this episode, Ray, but what jumped out to you the most about this episode? Yeah, like, I, I'm kind of there. I don't think that, like, I don't know where to start. Like, it was just such a, it's the best episode of television I've seen this year. I have no qualms about saying that. It was it was truly that outstanding. Um, I To tell that story, think about the amount of exposition that was done and how elegantly it was done in that, in that, in those what fifty minutes or whatever they fifty five minutes or whatever it was, it was it was astounding what they were able to do to tell this man's well not the life story but to tell to to completely explain where he's coming from and what led him to that tree with Don Johnson with was just it was it was just great the the technical stuff that they were doing with having characters come in and out of frame, the oneers just going, the the transitions, there's that transition where it looks up to the sky and then it comes back down and it's a completely different, like, it was, it was amazing. Like, I've watched it twice already and it's, it was so good. And I also really liked how they, because I don't think that Hooded Justice in the original Watchmen was meant, I don't think Alan Moore meant him to be black. Um, and I think that, Writing away the Nazi stuff is really hard. But if they were going to retrofit Hooded Justice as a black man, they did about as good a job as you could possibly do making those pieces fit, I think. And and you don't necessarily have to write away because he wasn't a Nazi. He was kind of a, a German sympathizer. And in the 80s, anybody that was a German sympathizer was branded a Nazi, which we can have other conversations about that. But when, when you look at... Um, black men coming back from world war one. And that was kind of coded into Will's character is like his father came back from world war one. You sign up to, and, and it's actually coded into some of the, the stories in black wall street, right? You have, that's why that was such a tragedy because a lot of these men went to war, came back, made a ton, made, made money for themselves after defending and fighting for what they believe in. And it was all stripped away from them. And so um, the anger, and that's like, it goes back to the conversation that Lori had with, uh, with Angela Abar, sister Knight in the car where she's talking about like, what's your trauma. Right. And we got to see in the next episode in episode seven, the actual trauma that happened to Regina King's character, Angela Abar as a, as a child. But this was very much also showing the generational trauma that they alluded to in the group therapy scene that, that, uh, that looking glass led, right? Because the inherited trauma, which I think is such an interesting idea. And like, and by the way, this is Lindelof. Like if you watch the leftovers, this is what he's interested in. And it's, I, it's like, he's, his deep dives into it have really been fascinating. Like this, this episode was so outstanding. The idea of inherited trauma, which has like a scientific backing, because I started reading about it. And so it has like a something of a scientific backing. Obviously, I'm not an expert on it. But like this, not even if it's inherited through your genes, which some I, I, I've seen some research suggesting that it is, the way you inherit it from your parents, the way that the, the Hooded Justice's son saw what it turned his dad into and what that then led him to. And then 
because of that pushed his daughter like we had the seesawing that we see happen in real life like if you grew up especially if you grew up in a poor place you see the seesawing that happens where kids go so far away from their parents but then still end up in the same place and it's such a i don't know it's just it's such a good look at it and to be able to tell that entire story it i just i can't it's a feat it was an absolute feat and I think it was great. And I don't think the next episode was as good, but I think that that's because the episode before it was the best episode I've seen on television this year. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, episode episode six is not just one of the best episodes of TV I've seen this year. It's probably, it, I would probably put it in my top 10 episodes of TV, period. Like, it is just, it, it was so good. And the, and the the way that they showed the the generational trauma and the way that they showed the kind of the, the covert racism of like tokenism where hooded justice, you didn't know he was black, but he was still the token on yeah. that team. He was still the token. He was still fetishized by his lover. Like that was def- the fetishization of African-American bodies is a real thing. And the commoditization of African-American bodies in general is a conversation we can have. Um, it's why, again, the like the NFL draft combine is a creepy thing. Um, or, or you could just watch the This is America video, but continue. Exactly. Right. That's the whole movie. Right. That, or the whole music video. But then, like, even the subtle thing of like when he says, hey, there's this is a real problem. That's not really our thing. That's not our problem. That's not our thing. It doesn't affect us. Black unrest is not a thing that we're worried about. It was it was great. It was the, just the great. way it, it was a beautifully crafted and I the you can the the diversity in this writer's room shows through because that's one of the things I really love about Damon Lindelof and the way he crafts his writer's room is that they're also intentionally diverse. And so there are not like he has two women of color that are chief writers for this show and have written, have been like the lead writers on episodes. And you can tell actually funny enough, the, the sex toy thing that we all joke about the big, the big blue sex toy, he wanted to take it out because it felt exploitative and the women writers were like, no, you leave that in. So like, that's the beauty of having diversity in your writer's rooms is that you get stuff that wouldn't hit because, well, you don't have the perspective. And then being able to tell stories like this in such a powerful and profound way is just incredible. So I don't want to denigrate episode seven because it was obviously good too. And there was some, like the flashback stuff, which, you know, just seeing Angela's life was, I mean, it was terrible. Obviously it was terrible. Uh, and then, and then to kind of where she, where she eventually ended up, the elephant is just, it's one of those things that you just, you find in these shows that like, it's like Lube Man. Like, I don't think the elephant's ever going to be explained. Like we could talk about the elephant and it makes sense why it would need to be into an elephant. Elephants never forget. We're storing our memories, blah, 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 blah. But it was just one of those like, what? And then she moved on. And like, it's just... It's crazy. And by the way, we haven't even got to the end of the show, the end of the episode. No, no, we haven't gotten to the twist. And so, but I think the, this is, this may be me reading too much into it, but following the episode about the racial history of the United States, not talking about the elephant in the room is a real thing. That's, that's good. Yeah. I like that. 
they're not talking about the elephant in the room and they will not talk about the elephant in the room. And that's the re it's the reason why our parents did us wrong by saying, if you don't have anything nice, don't say anything at all, because now we don't know how to have tough conversations with people. Like we can't discuss politics in a respectful way because we never learned that skill growing up. So we don't ever talk about the elephant in the room and we just got to keep it locked away, even though it's pumping memories and thoughts into us. So that may be me reading too much into it, but I'll put it away. So I love that reading. I love it. So Angela wakes up. She's having her memories restored. Uh, we get the we get the. This episode had twist on twist on twist. So first of all, we find out that uh, Lady Trio's daughter is not actually her daughter. She is her mother. She's a clone of her mother who is being restored, uh, having her members restored through nostalgia, because that's how one of the ways Lady True made her money was through selling nostalgia, uh, which is just another incredible statement on where we are as a society, because people are selling nostalgia to you today. That's why 10 million people signed up for Disney+, Plus because we bought nostalgia. Uh, and I also like that she made all of her money as a legal drug dealer. Like, yes. I, really, I really enjoy that part of it. Like, that's Message. a... That's a that is a fun, that's a fun little, a little dig, just a little, it's a little thing we're throwing in there about the state of our country. But anyway, yeah. Uh, Angela kind of tries to figure out what's going on. Cal is trying to make his way to her as well. Uh, we get the, the weirdest, I would say so far, they've all been weird. Um, Ozymandias aside, the trial of Ozymandias, all of the jurors are clo- lake babies. They're lake baby clones. Um, we do, we still don't know who the who the groundskeeper is or the gameskeeper is, but he's presiding over the proceedings. Adrian Veidt offers nothing but flatulence in his defense, which is another interesting statement about maybe political discourse in this country. And he's found guilty of violating the only law, which but is you don't leave. He's found guilty by pigs. You yes. left out the by pigs part. Yes. What what is happening? I don't know. Right? I don't know. And then we get at the end of this episode, uh Angela finds her way to the center of uh true enterprises. She's trying to figure out what's going on. We find out I don't know how I uh missed this, but we got the reveal of Keen's big plan with the 7th Cavalry through one of the greatest and fu- and funniest exposition dubs ever where Lori is like, so this is what you're doing. And then Judd's wife is like, yep. Oh, I wasn't supposed to confirm that, but we didn't just stop at president. So they're trying to turn Keen into Dr. Manhattan. The, the right before that too, she had another great one where, where uh PD slash lube man, uh, because that's definitely who lube man is. hundred percent. So Petey, so Petey is talking to her and she and telling her, hey, you know how you told me to do this? And she says back to him, yeah, you mean verbatim what I just told you? Like just calling out the expository dialogue. And then, yes. she, and then she does it again when she's in the chair talking to Keen. She's like, please stop. Don't tell me your plan. This is ridiculous. This is so silly. Like it's, it's perfect. Like it's so great. Well, and then, like, who has a trap door? We were all asking that. Like, <laughs> who has, who has a, tra- a trap door? The, the fact, the fact that uh, she had to hit all the buttons because she couldn't remember the button that made it go. I was dying. I was rolling. So, good. so, so good. Anyway, so Ray, what? Like, I guess the question is: so the the big twist. Spoiler alert for the big twist is that Cal is Doctor Manhattan, and Angela wakes him up by beating him to death with a hammer and taking 
a, I'm assuming something that was inhibiting his abilities as Dr. Manhattan out of his forehead. A tachyon blocker, probably of some kind. Yeah. I'm assuming that's, that was a thing in the comics. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on, Ray, but, but I, after every episode, my, my initial text to you is, I don't know what's going on, but I'm having the best time of my life. And like, what I really like about this, this Cal reveal is that it's not out of the blue. I guess I get out of the blue. Hey, I didn't mean that, but I'll, I'll leave it. But so I suppose if you, if you aren't involved in Reddit or anything that it it might've been really shocking to you, but like there've been people predicting this on Reddit since like episode two and their reasoning has been very interesting about how they did it from the, what we see around Cal, the blues that we're always seeing around Cal from Lori being uh, oddly attracted to, to him, like, like really drawn to Cal. Cal is beautiful though. It's it's not, it's not odd that someone is attracted to Yaha Abdul-Mateen. That guy, fair. I could be real. That guy's a handsome fella. No, no, he's, he's very attractive, but I'm saying like not just being attractive, but being like drawn to him in a, in a, in a weird and not a weird way, but just an interesting way. Uh, the the matter of fact way he talks about life and death, the accident that they wouldn't say anything about, the fact that we have no idea what ac- who actually saved Angela on the White Knight, what happened, it cuts away. So I think that all of that they they laid the seeds for this. This did not come out of nowhere. It was still surprising that this is actually happening. I also am interested moving forward from this in how they're going to explain away. So, so obviously the Seventh Cavalry is there, and maybe Looking Glass too. We don't know where Looking Glass is, but we as don't. we predicted, he is still alive because there's no way that dude was going out like that. Don't go into a man's bunker and expect to come out alive. That rule don't number go, life rule number one. Don't go to a man's house who has his own bunker. Let's just stop exactly. there. Exactly. But so, but they're ominously. Petey says one of the masks is missing. Oh, I wonder where that could be. So, yeah. So, so Looking Glass is somewhere in there as a Seventh Cavalry member. So is he at the base? Is he going to rescue Lori? Is he going to help out Angela? I don't really know. But they're going to have to explain away somehow. How are they going to capture Dr. Manhattan? Because if he's Dr. Manhattan, can't he just snap his fingers and turn them all into dust? So like, how are we going to make this fight that's going to happen happen? That That's going to be interesting to watch. I trust him to do it, but it'll be interesting to watch. And I'm interested. So the the thing about this plan is like, they're probably going to try to do the same thing uh, Vite did to contain Dr. Manhattan, but they don't know that it didn't work because Rorschach's journal went out before that happened. So, like, they don't know that messing with his fields and his magnetic fields doesn't work. And so I'm curious to see how that plays out. And there's a line in the trailer where... Um, and this is probably a, a pre-spoiler for, but they wouldn't put it in the trailer if it was a spoiler. Uh, where Manhattan and, and Angela are talking, and he says, "I've already told you you can't save me, yet you're going to try anyways." And that's juxtaposed with a shot of her uh, being shot at by several members of the Seventh Cavalry. So it's going to be probably one of the more action-heavy episodes of the season, and I'm really excited to see it because again, they've they haven't wronged me yet, and so I've I'm really excited to see what's happening, and, and I still don't know what's going on. I'm going to be interested to see where this goes. And I also like the ominous Lady True saying, oh, I expect my dad to be here soon, which is fun because there are two dad possibilities that are very interesting to me. The first is the comedian, which I liked a lot more. 
a couple weeks ago than I do now. And the second one is is uh, Ozymandias, which is kind of the leader in the clubhouse now. And so we might be getting we might we might be getting a convergence of those stories very soon here. I'm 99% sure that's what fell to earth yeah. in the field that she bought. Like I'm, I'm convinced. And that, that statue but... is him in like carbonite, right? Yeah. I think they, they on, on Europa, they froze him in whatever and shot him off the planet and he landed on earth. That's where I'm at. Cause that's where those timelines, maybe they don't converge, whatever we'll find out in three weeks and we'll be back with you. But that brings us to your favorite segment, my favorite segment, your grandmother's favorite segment. Don't sleep on it. So Ray, what can the good folks not sleep on this week? Well, I mentioned at the top knives out. I went and saw an advanced screening of knives out and it's great. It's just fantastic. It's just good fun. Uh, it kind of takes the whodunit and turns it a little bit. So there's a bit of a twist on the normal whodunit, but it has all of those aspects in there. It has some like, it has some like, uh, some, some class warfare aspects to it, which are interesting as well, which I, I quite enjoyed. Some of the characters are really, are really fun. And it's just, it's just a fun movie. It's just a really, really fun movie. I absolutely adored Knives Out, uh, Knives Out and I would uh, recommend it highly to anybody. It's on my list. Again, trying to find Knives Out with a toddler are always tough, but it's, it's one of those that I want to make some time to see. So I'm glad that you validated my choice to do so. So my Don't Sleep On It this week is I, I actually also mentioned it in uh, in passing is the show Goof Troop and I'll be really honest with you the show doesn't hold up but I still love it and I don't know what else to say about it. like it's completely me just just cashing in on my nostalgia and there is and this is this is maybe an experience that uh, this is not an experience that everybody can can appreciate but my I, my son loves music and so he loves the theme song to Goof Troop. And so I'll he and I will just sit and there's even if the show isn't good, the experience of watching something like that with someone you love, like one of my favorite people on the planet, my my one of my two favorite people that exist, uh, is just a cool experience. And so getting to share that with him has been really, really cool. And just getting to relive like part of my childhood. It's the reason why I'll forever pay the seven dollars a month for Disney Plus and why Ray will have a login for it as long as I continue to pay. Uh, I've been watching Boy Meets World and the first season of Boy Meets World is weird because they don't have the theme song yet and they haven't figured out the show yet. And so Topanga's not a big part of it. And it's been pretty weird. Yeah, my wife started watching it and I, I didn't necessarily know what to do with it. Like, but you it's one of those where you can't skip those episodes though. Like you really can't you can't blow past them because there's stuff that happens. But you kind of have to uh, you have to push through it. So Topanga shows up like halfway through, and then there's like a swimming, like a diving episode where they go diving, and like Topanga's like in a bathing suit, and she walks out, and like some people in the crowd whistle, and Topanga's like eleven, and She's it like was twelve, yeah. It was the weirdest, like it was the creepiest thing I've ever. Like it, that is creepier than the people whistling at Christina uh, Applegate on on married with children both are creepy topanga is 11 like what has happened the 90s were so weird like how was that allowed to happen the 90s were a messed up time the 90s were a real real messed up time 
Um, I don't, I don't know what else to say about that other than another thing that does hold up is Toy Story Two is is incredible. Uh, and I watched that this weekend with my son. So don't sleep. Nobody slept on Toy Story Two, but go back and watch it. It's probably the best of the four movies. And that's all I have to say about that. That's all we got for you this week, Ray. Where can good folks find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter at rm summerlin. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at ghgoodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at no context baby Yoda. No, I'm just joking. At two woke nerds. Shoot us an email, two woke nerds at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again. We'll be back in two weeks. And until then, stay woke. Thank you.